we're looking at uh, parables. Parable is a story with a twist, and the twist reveals something about God and us and why we do and why we do not respond to him. This morning, we're going to look at the parable of the talents. Again, it says again, we'll be like a man going on a journey who called the servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his way. A talent was originally, at that time, a measure of weight, variously estimated at anything between 50 to 75 pounds of silver. So um, it's a lot of money. Talent was a lot of money. Um, a day laborer in that day would have to work 19 years daily to earn one talent. So if you try to figure out what a talent would be in our, uh, maybe in our economy, a, a talent is maybe half a million dollars. Uh, two talents would be a million. Five talents would be somewhere around $3 million. So it's a lot of money. And then he gives this talent to the workers to see what they can do with it. He goes on, um, says that the man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the one who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. What happened? The master leaves, and then he arrives back after a long period of being being away. And then he settles accounts with his um, servants with respect to how they dealt with his resources. Let's look and see what happened. It says, after a long time, the master of these, those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The master who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. It goes on, the man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Each of the first two servants demonstrates his Faithfulness coming up with a 100% profit, described by the master as good and faithful. He heartily rewards their faithfulness and kind of assigns, and then he's pretty pleased with them. Both servants received the same reward, even though the first accomplished more than the second did. He took five, multiplied five, the second two multiplied two, but they are both rewarded because they're both faithful. Even though one produced more than the other one produced, they were both faithful, and that's what they're rewarded for, their faithfulness. They did what was required of them, and they get the same reward. It shows that in the parable, at least, it's not numerical success that is being evaluated. It's really not the quantity of what they produce 
It's the quality of what they produce. And the quality of what they produce, we're going to see, it comes from their perspective of the master. That's what we're going to see. We find the same thought in Paul's writings when he describes when God evaluates someone that he dispatches to bring a message, to do something. It points out, the Bible seems to suggest that it's not the quantity of what the man produces in terms of fruit, but the quality of the fruit. Let's see what Paul says. He says, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on his this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. I want to point out, this verse is sometimes used to frighten Christians, that there's going to be an evaluation of everyone. And that's not what this verse is suggesting. The judgment described here, I believe, is about leaders in particular. Paul describes himself as the one who lays the foundation. And he's describing those who are building on the foundation, like Peter and Apollos. And what he's describing, the judgment here, is not a sheep judgment. It's a shepherd judgment. It's those who are involved in Christian service and Christian ministry. They are, they are standing before people claiming to represent God to the people. And then those are the ones who will be evaluated by the master. Uh, it's, and then he goes on to talk about what this evaluation, what this assessment will be like. It says, if what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. These are strong words. God takes very seriously when he dispatches somebody to bring a message. It's necessary for that one to bring the message to be faithful in reflecting what the message is. It's not appropriate to change the message in order to change the people. So what those God entrusts the message to are not to guard the people. They're to guard the message. That's what a messenger is tasked to do, bring the message. And so those who bring the message faithfully will be rewarded. It talks about a judgment that the Christian workers, I believe, will be uh, will go through, um, and if what they have built survives, if it's based on truth, the truth of what God tells them to say, then what they built will survive this fire, which consumes everything that's not in accordance with what God 
wanted to be said. So there might be individuals then who were faithful and they didn't build much, but the fire will come, it will consume, and if what they used to build was what God gave them to use, then their work will will stand and they will receive a reward. There might be those who have a really big thing happening, a very, it, it looks like it looks expansive. It looks really strong and really big. And, and yet when the fire comes, if it's not built on the things that God determined they should be built on, then it might be something big and it goes up in smoke. And it says that that person will be saved because perhaps they didn't understand at any rate, it's not that they are going to be lost, but they'll kind of make it, but they won't have a lot to show for the time that they put in. That seems to be what this verse is describing. Um, again, the verse is used, is applied to believers in general. Sometimes it's used to frighten Christians into thinking that they will be judged on the far side of the grave. I don't believe that's what this verse is saying. I don't think that if you are placing your faith in Christ, and we've said this before, I don't think there's going to be a highlight reel of your sins. <laughs> you know, when you think of the highlight reel, and it's, oh my goodness, you're not going to show that, are you? And you know, I don't think so. There's no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he has removed us so that we don't go through the judgment. Jesus experienced judgment. If we're in him, we're not going to be judged. And I think that's what the Bible indicates. Um, this verse, then, is a it's it's a warning to shepherds, not sheep. It's a shepherd's judgment. Um, then we have the man who had received the one talent. Uh, the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew you are a hard man, reaping where you do not sow, harvesting where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. There's three things we've got to think about. There's thoughts, attitudes, and actions. And that's what we're going to find. And each of these things kind of is involved in our response to God. Thoughts, attitudes, and actions. Thoughts are... We have that next slide, John. Thanks. Thoughts are beliefs about God. We might be conscious of them and we might not. It's what we think about God when we think about him. The thoughts, the images that come into our mind, that's the thoughts. Attitudes are our responses to God's will based on our thoughts. And our actions, then, are behaviors based on our thoughts and attitudes. There's thoughts which are beliefs about God. What we think about when we think about God, attitudes are our responses to God based on the way we think about him. And then our actions, which are the results of our thoughts and attitudes. Um, we're going to look in, again at that verse. See if you can find the thought the attitude, and the action. I want to read the verse again. See if you can find it. See if you can determine what is the thought here. What is the attitude? And what is the action? I'm going to read it again. Um, then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, 
I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. What's the action? What did he do? Hid the talent in the ground. That's what we can see. That's the action. We really look at actions, don't we? You know, when when we're judging somebody, we say, what did you do? What did you do? You didn't do that, did you? You did that? You really? So we tend to judge actions, and that's this guy's action. What's his attitude? Why did he hide the talent in the ground? What's the attitude? I was afraid. I was afraid. So I hid the talent in the ground. And so we've looked at the attitude and the action. What was the thought? I knew you were a hard man. You expect to get blood out of a rock. You expect things from us, but don't give anything to us. And so there's the thought, there's the attitude, and there's the action. Where do we focus? We would focus on, you put the thing in the ground. Here's the question. We talked about this before. What does God judge? Does God judge the actions? Does God judge the attitudes? Does God judge the thoughts? That's a really important question, isn't it? When you think of it. It's a really important question. Does God judge our actions? Does he judge our attitudes? Or does he judge our thoughts? Would you agree with me that if you're going to succeed in being assessed, it's really important to know the basis upon which you're going to be evaluated? So let's be really clear in what where does him, where's he focus? Look what it says. The master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you hid your talent in the ground. No, that's not, that's not what it says, is it? Oh, I'm sorry. You wicked, lazy servant. So you were afraid of me. That's not what it says either, is it? He doesn't judge the action. He doesn't judge the attitude. What does he say? You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown? Really? And gather where I have not scattered seed? Pretty clear what he judges, isn't it? The thought. Would you agree with me? It is the thought that leads to the attitude. And it's the attitude that leads to the action. If you're going to get to the root of the problem, should you focus on the action? Should you focus on the attitude? Or should you focus on the thought? This is what God judges. And so when you think of how can I be the man or woman God wants me to be, how can I think about God clearly and accurately? That's seminal, primal, Absolutely essential, foundational. That's what's important. 
Your life might not look very good, but if you are cultivating the correct beliefs about God in your mind, you are doing well. If your life looks really good, but you're not cultivating the right thoughts about God, you might look good, but if what's inside, you understand that's how he, that's how God judges. Um, the master judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You know what the master looks at? And the master represents God. Not what he did, but why he did it. Not what he did. Why he did it. And this is consistent with scripture. It says, the Old Testament, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God doesn't judge what we do. God judges what we think, and sometimes what we think we push down. We push down into places because we don't like our thoughts and attitudes. And so we kind of hide what we think and feel from others. And we can do that, can't we? I can see what you're doing. I can't see what you're thinking, can I? Can't do that. God does, though. That's what God... That's what he assesses. Um, we hide things from ourselves and even others. Here's what Isaiah says. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. What it's describing, if we are aware of things about God and we don't like what we think and feel, what we think, tend to do is tend to try to push it down and we distance our hearts from him and it can lead us to be well you remember what school was like when you're being assessed and you sit up bolt upright and you, you know they used to get a star and and we tend to do that we focus on our actions we think that we really need to do everything exactly right so that god will please us because we all know god's really harsh and judgmental and we should be afraid of him no, no, no. God reveals himself differently in Jesus Christ. And that's how God shows himself clearly. The old covenant reveals some, a God who's kind of scary. And that God is not the God Jesus reflected. God reflected a God who keeps a new covenant with people. And that God is not scary. He puts his law in your heart and in your mind he is your God. He tells you you're going to be his son and daughter, and he's going to be Helios to your unrighteousnesses and remember your sins no more. You know what ends up happening? If, you, if that thought gets in your mind, you know what you're going to find? You're going to be a little bit more honest with God as the years go by. You're not going to be quite as prone to say, oh, I can't. That's not a good thing. God wants to us to communicate with him. He wants a relationship with us. Um, what does God want from us? One of my favorite verses from Scripture. Uh, it says in Hebrews 4, 12 through 13, for the word of God is living and active, 
sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You remember what thoughts and attitudes, aren't you? Thoughts, beliefs about God, attitudes are responses to God's will based on our beliefs and their actions. God doesn't judge actions. He judges thoughts and attitudes. And it goes on, therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God doesn't want us to distance our deep thoughts. What he wants us to do, he says, approach the throne of grace and speak freely. With confidence, we've talked about the word before, it's a very particular confidence. It's not bold. It, it, well, what is it? Confidence. It's the confidence to enter the chambers of somebody in authority and to speak freely when you're there. This confidence is two things. It is understanding that I'm invited to enter into the chambers of this person in authority. Not only am I called to enter his chambers, I'm commanded to speak freely with him there about everything that's inside. This is what God wants from us. He doesn't want us to distance our thoughts from him. When you understand what God is like and that he wants you to speak freely, little by little, this takes a long time, little by little we start to be less guarded with God more open. We start to trust him more. Find ourselves being more honest with him. Um, and that's what he wants from us. And that takes time, takes time. And it takes the ability to think about God as he is, as Jesus reflects him. Um, that's why, you know, sympathy, we've talked about this before. Sympathy is why we open our heart to another person. Would you agree with me? Sympathy allows us to open our heart to another person. If you understand me to be sympathetic, and if you're dealing with something, you're more likely to be honest about what you're dealing with. If there's sympathy, if there's a lack of sympathy, sympathy closes our heart. Does God understand you? He sent his son so that you could have a sympathetic high priest. Jesus sympathizes, and the reason why God tells you he sympathizes with you? In order to open your heart to him. Because he wants you to come to the throne of grace and speak freely. God, I'm afraid of what I'm dealing with. God, I'm anxious about this and that. I like this part of my life. I'm not crazy about what's happening here. And we speak freely. And why do we speak freely with him? That's what he wants from us. He wants a relationship with us. Uh, sympathy is why we open our heart to another person. A lack of sympathy is why we close it. How do we apply this? We're just about done. That's what it says. Above all else, 
guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And what that means, if you go to a place that's frightening you to you better respond to God right, what I'd say, get out of that place. Leave it. Right in the middle of a message. Why? Because it's really important to guard your heart. Because it is the wellspring of life. That place where we entertain thoughts, because thoughts lead to attitudes, and attitudes lead to action. So guarding your heart means guard the things that you read and hear. If it's a Christian thing and there's a nice song, but then something comes on, click it off. JC used to talk about this. We talked about him. Janice talked about JC early on, passed away two, three years ago. Three years, can that be? Anyway, three years. Um, he used to have yelling matches <laughs> with the radio. He'd tune it in and he'd go, no, no. And, he'd, and so if you saw him, he'd be driving and, you know, and just... Uh, and that is a, that's a little bit weird, but not, actually it really isn't. <laughs> but actually it's, it's, it's probably good practice. Here's what the Bible says. You do not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. Hmm. That's a big verse, isn't it? You find somebody who's trying to frighten you, do they, re do they represent God? Good question, isn't it? And you don't need to judge them. God will hold his servants accountable. I don't know what that will look like, but that's his job. Your job, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. You have received a spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Remain focused on God's new covenant commitments. Why? Why? because that's what thoughts come from. And thoughts lead to attitudes. And attitudes lead to actions. And um, let's stand. Guard your heart, it's the wellspring of life. Father, you tell us things about what you're like. We have pictures in the Old Testament of the Bible that reveal somebody frightening, fearsome, and that was purposed. But then you sent your son, and an analog image became a digital image. You do not communicate to us from Mount Sinai. You communicate to us from Mount Calvary. And it is a different message, but is the accurate message. You would not have us be frightened. That's why you sent your son. And I ask that you would help us to see you as Jesus did, so that Jesus' thoughts and attitudes and actions can little, when I will never be Jesus, but as our image of you is more in line with Jesus' image of you, Abba, Daddy. As Jesus' image becomes our image, 
Little by little, Jesus' attitude becomes more our attitude. Jesus' thoughts and actions become more our actions. No, we're never going to be like him. But little by little, we can be more like him, more conformed to his image. I'd ask that that would be the case. Little by little, in Jesus' name, amen.